Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Raw podcast brought to you by the Sunderland Echo. I'm your host for today, James Copley, and I'm joined by my colleague, Phil Smith. Phil, how are you feeling? You in the, uh, the festive spirit yet? Yeah, fairly. I mean, it'd be more festive if I didn't have to work, but um, obviously, yeah. <laughs> Box, boxing, yeah. Day is, boxing day is always fun, and we, we got a yeah, boxing day is good. Although the kickoff time is terrible. Yeah, the kickoff time is terrible, and we got a nice dinner from um, from the club in the last home game, which was a turkey dinner, which was absolutely beautiful. To be fair, well, I wasn't there, was I? So, oh no, you weren't. Of course, do you know what? I didn't even do, I didn't even do that deliberately. <laughs> oh, that's a good start. That is a good start. Have you got any? Um, because you come from a Sunderland support and family, Phil. Are you are you getting any Sunderland related gifts for any of your family members? I am, but I can't say anything because they might be listening. Um, well, that, is, that is another good point. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll I'll tell you all about it after Christmas. I've got some good ones lined up actually, but yeah, I can't reveal anything otherwise that will potentially spoil Christmas. So my um my family don't uh, don't listen to me or uh, care about my career, so I just assumed that yours are the same. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Of course they do, but they don't listen to this podcast. The yeah. best the best year <laughs> that we had was when me, my dad, and my brother all got each other um some of the bobble hats um from exactly the same brand um. But miraculously, we all got three different styles for each other. Um, nice, so, nice. but yeah, we we do lend heavily on the uh, retro Sunderland match. Yeah, you you do like a good uh, a good bobble hat fill in fairness. You're always sporting a, a different one. Um, because my hairline's will... receding. Look, yeah, disappearing fast. So got to hide it. Mine too. I just couldn't find a hat in time. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> and energy right. bills as well. It's a perfect storm, mate. This winter, it's a perfect storm. It is really, it is, it is. But we shall move on to uh, to happier things at Christmas time. So this podcast will be based around a sort of mid-season uh, review, reflection, look back into Sunderland's return to the Championship after four seasons away in League One. We've played 23 games, which is exactly the halfway mark. There's been manager change, there's been injuries, there's been goals, there's been surrendering leads um there's been plenty of jaffa cakes there's there's been the odd news story as well but um for me phil off the pitch at least we'll come on to on the pitch but off the pitch everything seems to feel a little bit more stable after the methven and stuart donald era obviously that the, the methven's name sort of resurfaced in the press in the past couple of days linked to charlton but it's i was thinking about this before we came on it's nice to have that bit of stability now at the club and not every other news story is about ownership and percentages and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a lot more stable. I think stable is the right word. Um, I think there's still huge areas to improve. Um, you know, when, when we spoke to Carol Louis-Dreyfus um, launching the Sunman story at the Empire last week, you know, he said there's moving thousands of mistakes. And he actually said, you know, I grew up in top-level French football and we are a very, very long way off where we need to be. Um, and I think we've all seen that at times, haven't we? We've seen it in terms of some of the off-the-pitch stuff, um, in terms of the customer experience, little stuff like that. Um, we've seen it at times on the pitch, all that kind of stuff. But it is more stable. And I think we've seen that almost clarity. Um, I think the best possible way you could describe that is to compare you know, the succession from... Lee Johnson to Alex Neal to the succession from Alex Neal to Tony Mowbray, mm. um, where one, you know, poor supporters reading all sorts of things for two weeks about different, you know, candidates, where the situation was, 
all the while the team is massively struggling on the pitch, lacking leadership. Um, you know, whatever you think of Tony Mowbray, I think most people are fairly positive. But taking that aside, you know, the contrast from the process that brought him into the club in a matter of days, really, um, and him sort of fitting the clear criteria for what the next stage of the process were, if you like, I think it showed you how I think the power um, is very much being consolidated. Um, I do think Kirill's pretty much in control from day one, but I think you've seen how the benefit of having a more defined structure um, and probably, I think, empowering staff as well, whatever we think of sport and director or whatever, I think there is that clarity and that empowerment now. And I think that's why, certainly since Mowbray came in, it's been a lot more settled as a club. Um, and I do think we'll see kind of the rewards of that over a longer period of time. Yes, I was just, I was also thinking today when I was, I was just having a sort of a look around the, the Sunderland social media landscape, but it's actually a year to the day, Phil, since Sunderland played Arsenal in the Carabao Cup. They ended up losing 5-1, but I think Broadhead scored that nice goal when Arsenal were 2-0 up to give Sunderland a bit of hope. Sunderland played well in periods that day. It did become a bit uncomfortable um, towards the end, but I was just looking at the lineup and sort of thinking about the job that Christian Speakman and Kirillou Dreyfus have, have done. And the, the lineup that day was Lee Burge, obviously, who's been replaced. Um, Bailey Wright's still at the club. Uh, Tom Flanagan's played for Shrewsbury in League One. Callum Doyle's now at Coventry. Winchester at Shrewsbury. Uh, but then you've got Embleton Neil Gooch still at the club. Pritchard still at the club. Stewart still at the club. And Nathan Broadhead, who's playing at Wigan. So Broadhead and Doyle still in the Championship. And Flanagan and... Winchester and Berger playing at a sort of lower level. So we've sort of seen over time that that changing of of changing of um sort of attitudes and, and focuses and it, it sort of led to this this championship season now over a prolonged period of time. Yeah, I think whatever you think of the structure, sporting director, the owner, um, the managers that we or the head coaches, I should say, that we've had along the way. I don't think anyone could argue that what we've seen is over a period of three to four windows, the technical quality of the squad has absolutely gone through the roof from where it was compared to when Kirill Louis Drifts and Christian Spinkman arrived. And that's to their credit. And it's because, you know, what we called for for a lot of year period, a lot of years previous, has been targeted mm. investment in a proper recruitment team, in data and analytics. Um and I think it's very obvious that the Kirill's investment certainly in the initial stages, has been very focused on that side of the club. I think if, you know, the investment at the Academy of Light, for example, has been pretty substantial, especially if it was then a League One club. Um, and maybe at times some people might feel like that's come at the expense of some of the consumer experience um, in terms of the stadium, ticket office and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think you have to say that phase one of the process, which was growing the value within the squad um, and lifting its technical ability, um, has been a, a huge success where there's been a lot of understandable frustration in that is that there are times where it's felt as if that focus on the philosophy, if you like, has been at the expense of a Saturday, Tuesday. And what I mean by that is some areas of the squad where maybe a bit of cover or a bit of experience up front, an obvious one, defensive midfield through this phase of the season is another. has sort of gone by the wayside a little bit. Um, and I can understand that. And it's really interesting because Louis Dreyfus and Speaker have both made clear that they see next window, January, being quite quiet. And what they've essentially said is the previous windows, they've needed to add value to the squad. They've needed to grow it. 
And so they've been very aggressive in focusing on these young players. And I think maybe a recognition there that that has left some imbalances. And I'll mm. be really interested to see now whether we can see, because that sort of floor, if you like, of value in the squad and that core of talented young players to grow over a period of time is there. Um, I'm sure they'll keep signing players of that ilk, but will we also see them be able now to be a bit more specific and say, do you know what? Corey Evans is really important. We need to go out and get someone who can do his role. And if it's a 29-year-old with 400 championship games on loan for six months, we'll do it. Do you know what I mean? So it's going to be yeah. interesting to see what the next phase of that process is. Um, because I don't I don't think anyone could deny um, that they've improved the squad dramatically. Like I say, I keep going back to the word technical. And the technical ability is is absolutely transformed from where it was. It's just that along the way, I think there have very clearly been some errors made. Um, and that's okay if you learn from them and you improve from them over time. And I guess that's going to be the next kind of interesting phrase of this um, project or, or model or whatever word people hate the least. Because <laughs> I know they can see, it can be quite an emotive topic, but um, yeah. Yeah, interesting times. What have you made of matters on the field in terms of games Sunderland have played in? I think for me, there's been some brilliant, brilliant high points. Um, you know, the, the Jack Clark goal against Reading and... Crystal City away, uh, the breaking of the billboard. We've talked about that before, all that sort of stuff. There's been some real quality moments for Sunderland and Sunderland fans um, in a season which has been nice at, at times because of the four we spent in League One, which were at times pretty miserable. There have also been some low points. We've probably surrendered a, a few too many leads. Uh, the home form hasn't been amazing. The loss to Cardiff was a, a pretty turgid performance. Obviously, there was the losing Alex Neal uh, that you have to throw into the whole picture as well. But on the whole, Phil, where are you at with this season? Because I've been quite pleased with it so far, to be honest. Yeah, well, I think we're we're bang on track for an ultimately successful season. If Sunderland replicate in terms of the points return what they've done over the first half of the season and the second, then it would have been a good season. Because if you look, it's 10 years, I think, since anyone came up from League One and finished in the top half. Now, I totally accept the premise that most clubs aren't Sunderland's coming out of League One. And that gives you, you know, a sort of financial strength because of the fan base and the stature that you should be able to, you know, that, for example, a team like Rotherham might not be able to have. And I do accept that. But even so, um, I think when you factor in the budgetary um, advantage that teams with the parachute payments have got, I think that offsets Sunderland's almost natural strength, if you like. So I do think that it's been a really solid first half of the season. Um, and if they do it again, it'll ultimately be a point to kick on from. Then you factor in the context, which is eight games without a striker. Um, mm. You know, the, that change of head coach, which we talked about, which last season ultimately proved to be the right decision, but it was a very bumpy road to get to the point where it had the desired effect. Um, I think it's been good. I have noticed that it seemed to be I would say probably since we came back after the Watford game and there was those two nil-nil draws with Preston Blackpool with no strikers, it has felt a bit less fun for everybody. I think at the start of the season, everyone was just so much enjoying this lifting tempo in games, um, you know, the, this lifting quality in games. You know, if you think back to that Coventry game where it felt like the ball was in play for like eight, eight minutes and it was just draining, but really good fun. And it's changed a bit since then, maybe because expectations have gone up a little bit, definitely because the opposition has shown Sunderland a lot more respect. So the games have slowed down, teams are coming up to the stadium alight and trying to frustrate in a way that we just 
didn't see in those opening weeks of the season because Sunderland were a promoted team and so everyone was looking at it going, this is three points for us. Um, and we saw that at Hull at the weekend. I mean, Hull just sat off Sunderland for the first half. Mm. You know, and Hull were a team who, at the start of the season, they were going for the top six. You look at some of the Premier League players with Premier League experience and international experience. So do you see what I'm saying? I feel like it's yeah. just shifted a bit and it's it's become a little bit more of a slog, I think, over the last maybe six to eight weeks. Um, I and I think you've sensed that in some of the reaction to the games. And I suppose my hope now is that with Ross Stewart back, mm. um, you know, a mad starting to click, you know, Roberts hopefully getting in the team a bit more, certainly coming off the bench or what have you. Maybe we can get a little bit of that excitement back, a little bit of that freshness back over the Christmas mm. period. Um, because it does feel like it's become a little bit more of a slog. People might say, by the way, might be listening and think that's totally wrong. It's not my feeling at all. But yeah, I just feel from those two home games against Blackburn and Preston, it's become a little bit harder work, partly because of where Sunderland have been at, but partly because of the way the opposition have totally mm. changed the way they approach playing Sunderland as well. I think those two games you mentioned there uh, and the expectation thing is a good point because Sunderland performed so well early on in the season. They played such good football. It was so refreshing. We're playing against good opposition and a good league where the ball's in play. Um, so you're sort of grateful for that, but it's human nature that expectations change and shift. And when you can see that, okay, maybe the quality of the two leagues isn't as big as a jump as we thought and our players can acclimatise better than maybe we thought. Um, and then you start drawing games like the Blackpool and the Preston game and it's because you haven't got a striker on the pitch and you can see it's likely down to that reason Um you start. Uh, it's human nature to want more, isn't it, Phil? You think like, well, if we'd have just had another striker, if if we'd have yeah, just yeah. had a, a reserve right back or a reserve left back, so that yeah. early that early season sort of optimism of oh, it's great to be back is then replaced by a well, we could be there if we just had a we just had one or two extra bodies, which is a very valid point. Yeah, and I think that uh, that's why I have slightly mixed feelings about it because do I think if Ross Stewart had been fit or there'd been somebody to do a little bit of what I have to say, I'm not sure Sunderland could find another striker who does what Stewart does straight mm. away. They might be able to do what they did with Stewart, which is bring someone in over time to develop them. But even just seeing him back on the pitch on Saturday, it's just like, my God, this guy is top tier at this level. Mm. The moment he got on the pitch, the game changed. The interesting thing about Stewart is, I think his game has improved um, in terms of his, his link-up plays a lot better than it was, say, a year ago. But what's so strengthened is how much he's got an aura about him now. The way he carries himself about the pitch um, I think he, he looks, he looks the opposition. He looks more physical now as well. When he when he first joined, he looked like he looked like a young 21, 22 year old, whatever he was. But now he he looks like he's filled into his frame a bit. And I, I actually just think that's aura. I just mm. think that's confidence and just stature. Um, uh, it's incredible to see, really. Um, it's also a complete tangent. I can't remember what I was talking about. Yeah. So if Stuart had been fit or there'd been another striker, then I think there's a chance someone might be sixth or seventh. Yeah, I agree. So I understand the frustration. What I also think is, I don't think someone are anywhere near the sixth or seventh best side in this division. You know, I'm putting up a piece now about sort of what the, the data is, and I know everyone has different opinions on how much you can read into data and stuff, but what that tells you generally is that there's six or seven teams that are out in front in what they do from game to game, the chances to create, the chances to concede, and it's pretty much all the teams with parachute payments. And then there's a big chunk of 10 to 12 teams with absolutely nothing between them, and Sunderland are in that. And there are some teams who've really struggled and some are clear of that. And I know that there's I know that there's an opinion that, well, how many teams have outplayed Sunderland? 
Well, the answer is none. And therefore, we should be aiming for the playoffs. And I get that. But I would flip it and say, how many games this season have Sunderland been dominant from minute one to 90? Yeah. I can, only Redding, think Redding, Ro- Redding really. I can only think of Rotherham at home. And Reading was a weird game because actually yeah, the first half an hour, we were Reading were the best first side. half an hour, actually. Yeah, you're right. But weirdly, in that one specific game, losing a strike will work to Sunderland's benefit because Reading and, just got confused and they didn't know who to pick up. And then um, you have a then you have a game like Norwich at home where I thought Sunderland were pretty good value and then, and then, and then lost and then lost it and then lost it at the end because they couldn't put the ball in the net and that was with fit strikers. Yeah, that that's a fair shout. I think Norwich is a game they were pretty much dominant in Reading, but I would add the context to it. Rotherham definitely just the bet side from minute one to nine. Yeah. But in every other game, Sunderland have been competitive, but there've also been spells when you know Huddersfield were better side for large parts of that win. Mm. Birmingham, I mean. Birmingham put what on brilliant three points yeah. and scored two great goals, but that last twenty minutes was like <laughs> excruciating. No, no, the wonder my hairline is like disappearing <laughs> at a rapid minute. So do you know what I mean? I, I'm sort of a bit. I my instinct is that Sunderland are just a mid-table Championship team. That's where yeah. they are right now. Stewart fit and firing can maybe nudge them into something a little bit better than that. Um, I have to say, I, I I don't at this point see them as a playoff team. I I just don't, and yeah, I get the frustration. Because when you look at the points total that they've got um, and the factors that we've put in about the strikes and stuff, then you do kind of think they could be up there. But I think as the season goes on, you'll see Middlesbrough, West Brom, Watford. They've all been a bit indifferent so far. I think, I really strongly believe they're just going to start churning it out. Um, and I think we will see a bit of a gap open up. And I think Sunderland will end up in that middle range um, where they can beat anybody but they can get beaten by just about anybody as well. I think that's where they are now. And that ultimately is a success to get yourself into that category straight away when you come up from League One. But I accept it's a bit frustrating as well because also, like, you know, I know we tumbled through this division last time we were in it, but generally Sunderland, when they're in the Championship, they, they compete at the top end. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah absolutely. But it, listen, it'll be interesting. You don't know. Teams, strange things can happen in this division. And like I say, with, with Stuart back, you never know. Um yeah, it's, strange, it, it, it's a bit of an odd one to assess. Strange, can, strange things can happen in this division if you put a, a run together. You can you can do extremely well. I'm just wondering if, and this is hypothetical, lots can change. Injuries can can creep back into it towards the back end of the season. We know that, but and I accept that Danny Barton now picked up an injury. We don't know the extent of that. But with Ballard coming back, with Stewart coming back, and then I, I just wonder about some of those fringe players. And, and this is a like, this is a, a big shout and a big ask of them, but. The likes of Barr and Mishu, when they get a bit more acclimatised, we know Mishu's got, got great quality. He hasn't really played much, but I, I just wonder if Sunderland's hierarchy have kind of thought, we're a middle-of-the-road championship team. This is, you know, a middle-of-the-road championship squad. That's what we should be aiming for. But there is this quality in youth where if it clicks, it could be it could be really quite something. I'm not really basing that off much because we haven't really seen much of them, but it's sort of where my head's at with it in the makeup of the squad. Yeah, definitely. I, I think there's a natural evolution whereby you know you try and establish a point where you're confident that you can stay up in terms of the quality of the player you've got, and then you add some young talent and just see how far it takes you. And if it clicks mm. and you get on a real roll, then amazing. Um, I think what we would, and this is throwing it forward a long way really, but let's say Sunderland get to March and they're in a pretty comfortable position um, and we're not looking at relegation at all, I think you would likely then see... Abdullah Bar come into the team every yeah. now and then. I think you'd see Jefferson Bennett play ahead of Jack Clark just every now and then. I think right now, because everything's still in limbo and ultimately we're not quite clear of what's there at the bottom of the table, 
it's a big call, isn't it? To put Bennett in ahead of Clark. Oh, I think yeah. at this moment in time, you're just not going to do it. Not from the start. Maybe when you get to March and you, and then then maybe that then means by the time the preseason comes around, Bennett and Barr they've got ten starts each, um, and they've had a year to acclimatise and get used to the system, and then suddenly they can go and really attack preseason. I think that's kind of how I see it unfolding in my head. Um, but I mean, yeah, who knows? I don't really know what mid table is. I don't really understand it. I've never really experienced it. Um, no, I've no. never covered a mid table team before, so I don't really know what it looks like. What you're supposed to think, like. It's a very unusual place to be in. So even who, who even knows? when we're even when we were finishing sort of like fifteenth, fourteenth in the Premier League, even when we finished tenth, we were like I'm sure we were seventeenth at the start of the day or something. Oh, it's like, still like the biggest like statistical myth. I still don't really believe that happened because I remember that season and a lot of it was just absolutely miserable. So, but yeah, yeah. it didn't feel like a mid-table team as my point that year. Certainly not. Um, yeah. Just uh, so. just the dog in the background looking out the window there. Interesting. Right, we're going to move on to current affairs, Phil. Uh, a real shame about Elliot Embleton's injury. Obviously, went up um, with Woods from Hull City. He got red carded for the incident, which I did feel was a bit harsh. Although I've only seen the one angle, I wasn't at the um, at the stadium. But a player that we both really, really like, um, come through the academy, pedigree at England, youth level. Somebody who's been unlucky with injuries that in the past he probably would have played a greater role under Jack Ross had he not. Um, suffered a few it's just a, a real shame it is yeah I didn't think it was a red card um, because like if we're honest like Elliot likes a challenge and sometimes that, when he got sent off sometimes he sort of sometimes he sort of go um, yeah yeah. that wasn't one of them like it just wasn't one of them um, they both are off the floor he doesn't kick out um, that just was not one of them I thought he was so unlucky and then obviously it immediately kind of peels into its insignificance, really, because it was obvious within seconds that, you know, it was a major injury. The stretch, the stretcher was on within seconds. Absolutely awful to see, really, because, you know, Embleton has had a brilliant 18 months and I'm not sure he actually gets the credit he deserves mm. for the 18 months that he's had. If you go back to him being sent out and on to Blackpool, which was actually a really good decision, if we're honest, because Chris McGuire had turned down a move and it was obvious that Emblem wasn't going to get loads of minutes. So they did the right thing in sending him somewhere, a good level where he was going to play. But Emblem could have easily taken that as a snub. Yeah. You've got to remember that about two weeks before that, the new manager has come in and taken him out of the start yeah, yeah, on the yeah. morning of the game. You know? So what I mean is, you know, he, he took that in the right way, he went to Blackpool, got him promoted. And then if you look back, he's come to Sunderland. And if we take this you know, calendar year, um, he was massive in getting Sunderland mm. out of League One. I know there was loads of different players who had a role in that, but you think of what he did in the clutch moments. Yeah, yeah. His assist for Broadhead's header against Gillingham, I think it was. Um, Oxford. Was a, a volley from the from, free from free kick as well. Yeah, that, that was Shrews, off the ball, Shrewsbury. Yeah. yeah. Um, Oxford, that was one of the biggest goals of the season, that. Mm. Um, you know, and then obviously, sometimes I think like we take a bit for granted that he ran from his own half at Wembley and just smashed one in the back of the net. And I've got to be honest, I don't really care if it was a goalkeeping error. Um, that doesn't really change the fact that at Wembley, he's yeah. run from his own half and just smashed it in the back of the net. Like, I think that's a really 13, good thing. For, 13 for minutes in as well. Or something like, yeah, yeah, 13 minutes um, in. Ridiculous. In front of, like, I don't know, 80,000 or whatever it was. Yeah. And then even the season, like, I... I expect there to be some inconsistencies. He just, but he's made some big contributions. He scored some big goals, big assists. I think he's had a brilliant 2022, which isn't me saying that he's a top-end championship player yet, 
and that he's got nowhere where he can improve because he clearly can. And I do, I do think you know when he comes back, it'll be a big target for him to sort of get a regular starting position and impose himself on games all the way through. But his technical ability is tremendous, and the way he's impacted games over twenty twenty two has been has been fantastic, mm. really, for a, for an academy product. Um, he's people forget he's he's only twenty three. You know, he's had. I think this is his third sort of major injury that I can think of. I can't think of exactly what the other two were, but they weren't great. Um, he's got 143 first-class games under his belt in all competitions between uh, League One, League Two and the Championship. It's it's ridiculous, really. He's, he's, he's had a brilliant year, and I'm so sad that it's ended on this note. Um, I think, you know, you, you, you look at the positives whereby I think Sunderland know how talented he is. Mm. That won't get lost. Um, Mowbray really rates him, you know, so he's not going to get forgotten about while he's injured. And clearly, it's going to be a long road back. And I'm sure he'll get an opportunity when he's fit again um, to prove himself. And listen, you never quite know what you're going to get with Embleton. I say that in the best <laughs> way possible. I don't think there are enough footballers like that in the modern game. Um, I think the game's developed. We have a lot of like identical footballers who all do the same things. Yeah. Um, and that's why I enjoy watching Embleton so much. Um, so I just yeah, wishing him all the all the best really in, in his recovery. Um, we don't know exactly how long it's going to be yet. Hopefully, it's not too long. Um, although it's clearly going to be a significant period. And yeah, I'm just looking forward to to some more Embleton silliness when he's back. Absolutely, the the story about Embleton that sticks out in my mind. I wrote it last year. Was a couple of days before the was it three one at home against Wickham Wanderers. I think Embleton scored. He curled one in. Um, from the right-hand side with his left foot. But a, a couple of days before, he'd, he'd paid a visit up to County Durham to um, just to, to sit with an elderly, elderly gentleman who'd just got out of um, hospital that was a sort of mutual friend. But it was like one or two days before the game. And, and that in itself, it, it's not a massive, a massive, you know, a massive good deal or a massive gesture. But I just thought it showed how down-to-worth he was to, to take that time to pay the visit, how, how much of a nice lad he was in a time where footballers get a get a, sort of, a lot of bad press, a lot of criticism. I thought that was excellent by him. Um, but we shall move on to current affairs, which is, of course, the transfer window. Phil, coming up soon. There's been lots of chat about Ross Stewart already. Um, I guess the question is, where are we at with it all? Good question. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, listen, I think... Where do I think we're at with that? I don't think it's changed a lot, to be honest, of late. Mm. Um, I think we're in a situation where I still think Stuart wants to stay at the club. Well, no, Stuart does want to stay at the club. Um, and some of them want to keep them. However, Stuart's also really ambitious. Um, and there's a bit of a standoff because clearly there's, there's a difference in valuation. So how does it develop from here? Well, either somebody in January meets Sunderland's valuation and Stuart's valuation, which I would suggest will be a large one. And it will take a club of significant financial firepower to do that in January. Um, and people can read into that, but I, I don't. I'd be amazed if Stuart went to another Championship club next month. Um, but there could be some clubs that offer Stuart a huge step forward in his career and offer Sunderland a pretty sizable return on a play with eighteen months left on his deal. Um, and then therefore he could go. I've always felt that the best thing for everyone would be Stuart to play for another few months to keep doing what he's doing to keep improving for Sunderland to start recruiting in January yeah. so they're in a strong position when they revisit it in the summer um, and take it from there. 
if you want my personal opinion, I think Stuart will get to the top level before some do. I think sometimes that's just naturally what happens. Players grow at a faster rate than where the club and the rest of the team's at. And I think that's happening with Stuart. Um, I do think at some point he's probably going to go, whether that's next summer, the summer after that. I, I honestly don't know. Um, but yeah, I, 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 my personal instinct is it's unlikely <laughs> for him to go next month. But if somebody comes in with a big bid, that's what the the model is and he'll go. Um, but I hold out some hope because I do think Stuart genuinely loves it here. Um, mm. And I don't think he's sort of knocking on the door wanting to, well, he's not knocking on the door wanting to leave. Um, I'm just going to, you know what, I'm just going to enjoy watching him play um, and cross my fingers and hope that we get it until the end of the season at the very least. Yeah, that would be nice. I see a sort of, not a conflict, conflict's too strong a word, but um, difference of opinion in Southern fans, a lot of whom point out that you can't really do anything um, in the championship if you sell your best players, which is an argument I completely understand, depending on what Sunderland's aim is. Uh, but there's others that say, you know, as you rightly point out, Phil, that selling Stewart could be necessarily sorry, necessary to progress. I guess the problem then comes... And it's something we haven't actually seen from this recruitment team yet is what they do if they do have a big chunk of money in the pot. We've seen it um, over the years on a higher scale when Tottenham bought seven players to replace Gareth Bale. I'm not saying Ross Stewart's on the same level, but you had the likes of Lewis Holtby come in and, you know, fine player and stuff, but it wasn't Gareth Bale. The, the, The problem then comes and the new challenge comes, where does this money get spent? How does it get spent? I see a lot of fans sort of suggesting that we won't be able to get a replacement for Ross Stewart with with the money, and and that's probably correct. But they wouldn't necessarily or likely be going for a like a like replacement. I've said a lot of I words mean, there. It's it's yeah. it's tough, isn't it? Like how well, how that fee once it come in it comes in, if it comes in, where it goes, what happens with it? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is that this is new, and that's mm. why it's such a big debate. And Stewart likely is going to be the first one. Yeah. So what happens is if Stewart is replaced well, and the team moves on with the general without much disruption when we then have this conversation about Dan Ballard or Adji Elise in 18 months time it'll feel very different because people will have trust yeah. that there's a, something in place which can manage it at the moment we don't know for sure that that's in place Um, I have really mixed feelings on this one for two reasons one I don't have a lot of time for the you can't get someone as good as Ross Stewart for that money Yeah, maybe not straight away but I had no idea who Ross Stewart was before they signed Ross Stewart. And I think if everyone's honest, they probably didn't either, maybe apart from a few who know the Scottish game quite well. So I think you've got to accept that Stewart was an outstanding replacement for Charlie White. Um, And so there should be a little bit of trust there because of that. What I would say is that Stewart was a bit of a masterclass and that he had six months to acclimatise before he took over from Charlie White. Now that's what worries me about January because we are not in that position. As it stands, Ross Stewart is the only player contract striker contract to be at Sunderland next year. So if other he was than, to go on January, because yeah, Max Thompson's deal expires in the summer, doesn't it? And he's another well, maybe Max, anyway. senior striker, maybe senior striker. Yeah. The point is, if if Ross Stewart goes on January the first, and I highly doubt he will, I'm just speaking hypothetically. If Stewart goes on January the first, you've got one lone striker, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure there's a recall option now. I don't think Everton will recall Ella Sims because I think it's working out great. But you get my point. You're oh, yeah, incredibly yeah, yeah. Vul- you're then incredibly vulnerable. Um, and what could then happen is you could then be in a situation that we saw when Stuart was injured before, where you then have a massive struggle to get results in the short term. And really, however much money you've got in the bank is sort of, it's not immaterial. 
but I'm not sure you've really helped. So I think it's January is a really important window for me, whether Stuart goes or not, because I want to see some signs that there's a long-term plan yeah, yeah, yeah. moving forward for that position. Whether that's committing funds to get that new deal for Stuart, which I think everyone would say is plan A, and that would be sensational, and we'd all be very happy. Or seeing someone come in who you think, well, okay, if they now got six months or 18 months to develop um, and to get used to being at Sunderland so that if Stuart does go, you know, because you, the problem is if Stuart goes for X amount of millions on the 1st of January and then you go to every other club and say, oh, we'd yeah. like to buy your striker. Well, Everybody knows. It's like a Will Griggs situation, yeah. isn't it, really? Exactly, exactly. So I want to see some development. I've kind of made my peace with the fact that as long as it's the right moment for the club and it's right for Stuart and the valuation's right, you will probably leave at some point. Um, obviously, the ideal scenario is he fires us to the Premier League in the next six months. But, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, I think I think it's about showing that there is, it's about building that trust, that, that yeah. there is a process in place. And at the moment, it's nobody's fault that that trust isn't there, but we just haven't yeah, seen, yeah. Yeah. we haven't really seen it happen yet. And that's going to be the kind of big moment, I think. Um, and I do think it's an important window, not necessarily in terms of Stuart himself necessarily, although it might come to that, more about I would love to see okay, I can see what they're doing here. They're building a squad whereby over the next three or four windows, you know, whether Stuart stays or goes, there's a bit of continuity there. Yeah, I think that that trust is slowly building. Obviously, there's been criticism in terms of leaving the squad light of strikers. Beginning of last season, perhaps it was a bit light with Winchester starting at right back and Dan Neil left back. It all ultimately worked out in the end. I don't think anybody's naive enough to, to admit there hasn't been mistakes. But I think... That trust is slowly building for me, and I'm actually quite looking forward to seeing what they do with the striker situation just because of the makeup of the squad, which we touched on earlier when Speakman, Harvey, Kiri Louis Dreyfus came in. And the resale value it has now, the technical ability it has now, is chalk and cheese, really. So I kind of already do trust them, but it's, you know, there's there's still still some things left to prove. Just quickly, Phil, and one last thing on the transfers before we wrap it up. But you mentioned Ella Sims, the recall option. Do you think. Beyond this season, that, and I know it's a long way off yet, that Ellis Sims could be a potential option for Sunderland? Possibly, I think, yeah. I think possibly. I mean, I'd love to think so. I I, I really rate him. I think yeah. sometimes he su- suffers from the fact um, that he's kind of automatically being compared to Ross Stewart. Mm. You know, Ross Stewart's had quite a lot of years to develop his game and get that experience. I think people forget how inexperienced Sims is, really. It's his first championship season. If you put them in the same category as a Dennis Serkin or a Dan Neal, you know, in their first championship yeah. season, Ellis Sims' goal return looks pretty good, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so I definitely think he could potentially be an option. I suspect Everton would want to judge him over a longer period of time because with the attributes he's got, I don't think he'd be making a judgment call on them yet. I think he'd be giving him sort of time. Um, and we've kind of seen it with Broadhead, really. They have really given him absolutely every chance, haven't they, to assess whether he's going to make the grade with them or not. Um, so I. I'd like to think so, um, but I do, I do think that's a quite a long way off. Um, but yeah, we we you would like you would like a player of that profile to come in permanently. Now yeah. I understand that the idea was last summer for that to be Broadhead, and it was incredibly close. And Sunderland, you know, couldn't have been much closer. Um, but I would like to see that kind of deal. You know, what we haven't had for a while is that striker of a certain age who you've invested in and you feel like it's going to go on that journey that hopefully, you know, that Stuart's been on, hopefully they can replicate that. I do wonderful and, uh, you know, correct me if I'm barking up the wrong tree, but I wonder if Broadhead could possibly be an option one day. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's interesting, wasn't it? I mean, the first thing I would say is that I've, I've watched a bit of Wiggins since Colo Turi went there um, 
and the style. Sounds bizarre, sounds bizarre to say that. It, yeah, it is, it is, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, it's very football manager, isn't it? It's like, yeah, um, it is. Yeah. Um, what I would say is he looks like he's trying to implement a style that I think probably quite suits Nathan Broadhead, whereas I'm not sure that was the case when we saw them at the stadium light earlier this season. So, yeah, we'll see. Um, yeah. I, it, it's difficult to know how, you know, I, I can't stress enough how close Sunderland thought they were to getting that deal done. Um, oh, well, yeah, whether yeah. whether you can resurrect that from having come, I, I honestly don't know. Listen, I would have him back tomorrow. Um, I think it's that talent that's put. I'm yeah, just like just la- laughing at myself getting a a really what I thought was a really nice report ready saying that um, Sunderland were the front runners, publishing it, and within ten minutes the whole situation had completely changed and I looked a bit uh, looked a bit silly. But we chalked that down to an experience. Um, we better leave it there really because we've both got stuff to do and I haven't got long to uh, to get it done just looking at the time there Phil so Merry Christmas to all Sunland fans we will of course keep you updated with everything over the festive period you can head over to our website we're also on YouTube and TikTok and yeah once again thank you for listening and enjoy the holidays <laughs>